All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is what we're going to read today. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, look in there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Lord, as I do every week, I ask you again today to teach us. Lord, there are uh, things in this passage that we're not actually supposed to say anymore. Uh, according to society. There are things in this passage, Lord, that um, are so far out of touch with our society that we've got to decide who's right. Either you're right or society is right. So, Father, give us the wisdom to see uh, that what you call sin is sin, regardless of what our society around us says. Lord, these Corinthians were in the same boat. Uh, Corinth was a, a a garden of sexual immorality, Lord. It was constant. Um, so, Father, we, uh, we think that society is getting worse and worse, and, Lord, ours, ours is today. But 
uh, there's nothing new under the sun. So, Father, they, these believers had to be out of step with their society as we're called to be in ours. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us, that you would give us wisdom, and then, Lord, that you would empower us to be able to live the way you would have us live. Lord, it's not just about getting this into our heads. It's, it's about living this out. And, Father, only you, you, through your Spirit, can empower us to do so. So, Father, we ask uh, for you to teach us and then for you to empower us to obey. We love you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one great thing that you'll hear me talk about, about church membership, is the accountability to brothers and sisters. But accountability only works if people are willing to submit to the accountability that they're under. You know, in the church, who is it that's supposed to submit to whom? Well, we got quite a list. I'm going to go through, and if you would like to jot down some scriptures, you can go back later and make sure I'm not making this up, that it's actually in here. All right, we all individually are called to submit to God. That's in James 4, 7. The church collectively is called to submit to Christ in Ephesians 5, 24. We are to submit to every human authority, 1 Peter 2, 13. Wives are to submit to their husbands, Colossians 3, 18. We are to submit to those who lead the church, Hebrews 13, 17. And finally, if that's not extensive enough, we are to all submit to one another. And that's found in Ephesians 5, 21. So we are supposed to be outdoing ourselves, tripping over each other, getting to the point that we can submit to one another. If we have a church like that, it's hard to be real contentious if you're trying to submit to your brother or to your sister all the time. So we're called to be outdoing each other in submission, in preference toward each other, and also in love for one another. We have seen that these Corinthian Christians that Paul was writing to were not spiritually mature, so they were having a hard time with this. We, however, want to not have a hard time with this, so we want to be spiritually mature. If we understand that we are called to submit to one another and ultimately to Christ, If we don't understand that, we won't understand the first part of this chapter because arbitration only works if people submit to the result of arbitration. Um, if, if If I'm having trouble with Buddy, Buddy and I are fighting, and we say, look, we'll let, we'll let Joe and, and Betty settle this for us. And then we go and we ask Joe and Betty, here's my grievance, here's what I, I'm mad about at Buddy, and I want you guys to decide who's right. Well, if they decide that I'm right, then they're wise people, right? But if they decide that Buddy's right, then all of a sudden I go, oh, well, they just got that wrong, so I'm going to get mad and go down the street to this other church, right? That's what we do normally. Um, You know, it's kind of like kids. Kids will ask one parent, hey, can I go do this? And they'll say, I don't know, ask your, ask your, uh, ask your mother. And then they'll run to mama and they'll say, daddy said I could, <laughs> you know, which is not, that's not what I said, right? I said, go ask your mama. But folks will always try to get the answer that they like. Um, so what we have to do is we have to learn that if we're going to settle our disputes in-house, I mean, it's better not to have a dispute. If we're trying as hard as we can to submit to one another, it's going to be hard to start a fight. 
but occasionally you will start a fight. Um, Brother Mark is a, is a friend and pastor friend of mine, and he says that he used to keep sheep, and I mean a lot of sheep. And he said occasionally this one dumb defenseless sheep would get mad at this other dumb defenseless sheep, and they would run and butt their heads together and hurt both of them. And then they'd do it again. And then they'd do it again <laughs> until they were both knocked silly from bashing each other, right? Sheep don't really, they don't have horns. They don't have teeth they can bite with, really. But they'll get together and they'll bash each other. Okay, we don't want to do that. We want to submit to each other and not bash heads together. So our first point is, when you have a grievance against someone in the church, work it out in the church. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Now you see his point here? Paul is saying, look, we're going to be involved in the judgment. We who are redeemed, who are saved are going to be judging the world someday. And then he says, are you really incompetent to judge a trivial matter among yourselves? Surely not. If the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Several times in this chapter, Paul says, do you not know? And then he states something that they're supposed to know. So he's saying, do you not know that we're going to judge angels? And the implication is, you're supposed to know this. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So he's saying, if you want wisdom, where are you going to find wisdom? Are you going to find wisdom inside the church? Or are you going to find wisdom inside the court system? Paul says the place to find godly wisdom is in the church. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you who is wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? He, he can't believe this. So this takes commitment, guys. If we're going to be a church where if we get into a dispute, we have the courage and the godliness to settle our disputes in-house. That takes commitment because it's so much easier to get mad at somebody and then to say, all right, I've had enough of this and I'm going to go home on, and sit on my couch on Sunday or I'm going to go 0.7 miles down the street to another Baptist church. That's a lot easier and that's what most folks do. You know, submission is pretty much a lost art form. Uh, I must have needed a lot of training in it because the Lord <laughs> had me uh, working under folks for years and years and years. Uh, some were an absolute pleasure. Uh, working with and under Brother Brandon was a joy. Uh, but some others, not so much. Um, I had this one guy who was a very talented singer. And he didn't know anything much about instrumental music. And I worked for him and I was the instrumental music director. And he would say, Steve, I think we need to do this with the orchestra. And I would know that that probably wasn't a good idea. So what I'd say to him is, uh, I will do that if you want me to, but let me offer you uh, another idea. And then I would tell him what we really should do. 
And he would say, well, no, do what I asked you to do. And I'd say, yes, sir. And I'd go do it to the best of my ability, right? That's what submission is. We, we just do what we're asked to do. And if it were some you know, moral imperative that would have been awful, I wouldn't have done it, obviously. But it was just a preference. And, and his was a less educated preference with instrumental music. But that's okay. He wanted me to do it. I did it. So submission is something that we all need to practice. And uh, we need to teach to our kids, too, by the way. Because um, the one thing that I feel uh, especially ungifted to do in the church is to teach kids. And it's not because I don't love kids. I do love kids. But you know what? I know how to make my kids behave, right? (laughs) Uh, My kids were sort of scared not to behave. But other kids that that don't normally regularly have to submit at home, that's pretty much no way to make them submit when they get to church, right? So we need to learn to submit ourselves. We need to demonstrate it for our kids and then we need to uh, enforce it on our kids if, if, uh, if that needs to be done. What I see happen, though, is when somebody gets mad at somebody else in the church, instead of submitting to them or instead of submitting to others in the church who can decide on a grievance between them, what they do is they get angry, they get detached, they get contentious. We've all seen that happen. It's so much better and so much more honoring to God to work it out inside the church if you handle this wrong going elsewhere is not really going to fix the problem Uh, do you know why if you get mad at somebody in the church and you refuse to work it out in a godly manner it's not going to help the situation for you to go to another church I'll tell you it's because you'll then be at that church (laughs) and the problem you won't have left the problem you will have taken the problem with you right if you are the problem And the one that can't work it out. So instead of doing that, it's so much better to just trust the brothers and sisters that you love and that you fellowship with. And say, I'm going to work this out in-house. Because we're family and we're going to stick together. So that's our first point. Is that when you have a grievance against somebody in the church, work it out in the church. The next thing is, it's better for you to lose for the sake of Christ than to win an argument for the sake of your ego. Verse 7 says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your brothers. So what Paul is saying here is radical. He's saying that it's better for you to individually lose your right in an argument than to give a bad name to the church and to the savior of the church. So he's saying, look, it's better for you to lose an argument, to be defrauded, okay, than to take this to court. Brother Buddy has come over and painted some, uh, some stuff in my house before. Can you imagine what kind of church people would think it was if I didn't pay Brother Buddy and then Brother Buddy said, well... I'm mad at him, so I'm going to take him to court and sue him, right? Can you imagine the scandal and the stupidity that would cause, right? We don't do that. First of all, I pay Brother Buddy. He does good work. But second of all, if I didn't, he could come to me and say, Brother, you need to make good on this contract. And then if, we couldn't, if I didn't do that, we'd have some people in the church come and tell me, look, you've got to do what you said you'd do. All of that is better than taking it to court. But you know what else is better? It's even better for Brother Buddy to say, you know, he should have paid me, 
I'm not going to trust him next time, but I'm not going to take him to court because that would make us look bad and give our, our church a bad reputation. So it takes some real maturity to live that way, to give up our own rights for the sake of the name of Christ. So if you have a grievance against someone in the church, consider for a minute why you need to be right. Because that is really the question. It's not always best for you to say, okay, okay, uh, you have your way. Here's when it's not. If you have a grievance and your opinion on the, on the matter you really feel is better for the church and better for the kingdom, then yeah, you need to stick with it. You need to stick with your position and you need to make sure that we don't make bad decisions just because somebody wants to have their way. I was, uh, I was at a church that had a former pastor who uh, decided that his aunt uh, wanted to give, a, give him a new car. But she didn't want to pay taxes on the gift, and he didn't want to claim it on his insurance or whatever. So she bought this brand new car, gave it to the church with instructions to give it to the pastor. All right, that's also known as money laundering, right? That's not, you don't do that, right? Uh, So if I wanted to do something crazy like that, and I said, hey guys, here's what I want to do, it would be very much in your right, and you'd have to say no. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go with your preference on this, brother, because this isn't right. So there are times when we can't get along because somebody's trying to do something foolish that shouldn't be done. But the rest of the time, we need to be willing to submit. So the test is, is this thing important for the kingdom or is it just important for my ego? And if it's just important for your ego, then we gotta, we got to let those things go. The problem, though, is pride is basically invisible. <laughs> Now, your pride is not invisible. I can see your pride, but I can't see mine, right? And it's the same thing for you. You can't see any pride going on in you, but you can spot it in me. So what we have to do is live in tight enough community and trust each other enough that we can help each other to see it when it's there to see. So it is better for you to lose for the sake of Christ than to win for the sake of your ego. All right, our next point is if you are saved... Act like it. Verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There are a lot of people who are deceived on this point. And so Paul is telling you, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We have heard a message of easy believism in this country so many times and for so long that we are convinced that we can look like a duck, act like a duck, walk like a duck, sound like a duck, and really be a swan. Okay, We are convinced of that because we've heard this message of easy believism for too long. But Paul says, do not be deceived. And then he tells us that there actually is a holy God who carries out judgment. So the Bible doesn't agree with the thought that we can look, act, sound, walk like a duck and really be something else. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Now, uh, in Corinth... Most everybody was fall, fall into that category of the sexually immoral. 
they would have temple prostitutes. Now, if you think you have a hard time getting, uh, getting your friends to church, well, <laughs> if you had temple prostitutes, you might not have a real hard time getting them to church. Uh, these ladies that have to drag their husbands to church, uh, it might be the other way around. He'd be saying, let's go five days a week to church. All right, but these guys were called not to be part of that sexually immoral culture. And guys, ours is as bad, I think, as you can get. And it says that regardless of what your society is like, we are called not to be sexually immoral people. Um, Melissa and I have a, have a relative, we were talking the other day, who was explaining to us that, uh, that somebody was going to go and move to another place and they were going to uh, live together because that, you know, that's the most convenient thing to do instead of having to buy two houses and eventually they're probably going to get married. And Anyway, this, uh, this guy goes to church and claims to be a believer and was just acting like it is so normal. And it is normal, but it's not normal for believers. And so, guys, we've got to be able to separate what is normal for the culture and what we are called to do as believers. It says, nor idolaters. All right. Now, you may say, well, okay, but idolatry is not a problem. Uh, I was talking to Brother Don the other day, and he was telling me about someone that was saved from Hinduism. Saved out of Hinduism. And uh, Brother Don went back to check on him with, a, with another friend, and they were going to explain to them that after they had heard the gospel and received the gospel and repented, that they then needed to take the step of realizing that Jesus is, is the only Savior and that our, our God, the Creator, is the only God and that they needed to get rid of their idols. Well, before they could tell them that, those guys said, hey, you know what I did last week? I gathered up all my idols and I destroyed them. That's great, isn't it? Now, we may think, well, we don't have idols, but, oh, We do. <laughs> we do. Uh, they're not little wooden things that we can gather up out of the house and put in a burn pile, but we do have our idols. So if your idol is your spouse, uh, I love my wife, and I'm so grateful for her. But she is a really good wife, but would be a really poor God, okay? So they're not supposed to be the same thing. So we don't idolize our spouse. We don't idolize money. We don't idolize our children. Um, If you do then what happens is you teach your kids the things that that really mean something to you. If we let our kids see that money is more important to us than obeying God, then they're going to learn to follow that idol. If they see that, uh, you know, I don't think I'm stepping on toes in here, but I'm going to go ahead and say what it is. If they see that competitive ball is more important than worship, then they're going to learn that, oh, that's an idol that's more important to my parents than God is. So we need to be careful of of getting rid of our idols. Um, They're not as easy to spot as they would be if they were little carved wooden figures. But nevertheless, we have them. Nor adulterers. All right, I don't think I need to explain that one real well because I think we all are familiar with exactly what that is. Nor men who practice homosexuality. All right, talk about being outside of the cultural norm here. Um, When I was a young guy, uh, I would hear preachers say something about homosexuality, and the people in the pews were like, yeah, tell them. But then he would say, don't be sexually immoral, and they'd all be real quiet for some reason. (laughs) Okay, so what that is about most of the time is we see a sin that we don't particularly particularly like or are particularly drawn to, 
And it is, it is heinous and offensive, and how could anybody do that? But then we see a sin that we kind of like, and it's not all that bad, and it's kind of understandable, right? Um, sexual immorality and men who practice homosexuality are on the same list with thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Now, I'm not saying that all sin is exactly equal. I, I hear people say that sometimes, and I know what they mean. They mean that one sin will cause you to have disfellowship with God, and if you're not saved, one sin will send you to hell, and that is true. But we see in the Bible that there are different levels of rewards and levels of judgment, so uh, I don't think that all sin is is the same in that sense. Um, For instance, if I were sitting at home and I had an unkind thought towards somebody... um, that is different from going next door and committing adultery. Believe me, it's different. Uh, my wife would think it's different. I think it's different. <laughs> I'm pretty sure God thinks it's different. But this homosexuality thing used to be something we didn't talk about. Then it was something we talked about. Then it's something we're proud of. And now it's something that you either endorse wholeheartedly or uh, the, uh, the folks on the other side of the issue are going to come after you. Well. We are going to be out of step with society here too because we're still going to say that men who practice homosexuality are in sin. Now we love them. We wish they would come here. We wish they'd hear the gospel. Um, Same thing for women who practice homosexuality. Same thing for men and women who practice sexual immorality. We, We love them. We care for them. We don't think they're outside of the experience of anybody else. We understand that we have sins that we prefer uh, but but God hates them all, okay? So we don't want to run them off. We, we want to embrace them. We don't want to have them as church members until they repent and, and become followers of Christ, just like any other person on this list. Nor thieves, all right? We don't, thieves don't inherit the kingdom of God. Nor the greedy. Oh, man, now we're really getting to something that is acceptable, right? We're saying that greedy folks, aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, how can you tell if you're greedy? I don't know. I I don't even know if I'm greedy, guys. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I think, you know, do I need uh, this much house? Do I need this kind of car? Do I need these things? Or should I be giving more money away? Uh, It's a hard thing, but you need to to walk with the Lord. You need to deal with Him uh, on what things you need and you don't need. And then you need to give accordingly. Nor drunkards. All right, we don't want to be drunkards, nor revilers. Now, I had to look up what this was because I didn't know, you know, you don't say, hey, you reviler. You don't talk about that every day. What a reviler is, is a grumpy dude that you can't get along with, okay? Have you ever met one of those in church? Uh, If you've gone to church for any length of time, you've met one of those. And it says here that those guys aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God, nor swindlers. And that's when you, uh, you know, when you talk to somebody and, uh, and convince them of something in order to get money from them, right? So we have folks uh, frequently come by and ask for money. Sometimes they tell us the truth. Sometimes they don't. And thank goodness Brother Robert has to decide because I'm horrible at it. Somebody comes by and tells me a sad story and says they need money. Then I go, oh, that's so horrible. Let me help you, right? Because I'm a sucker. Um, we have folks like Melissa here who deals with people trying to get drugs all the time. And she can tell who is a swindler and who's not. I can't tell, though. Then it says, none of these guys will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but there's good news coming. 
It says in verse 11, and such were some of you. Now, our next point is, if you are not saved, be saved today, because so were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, folks, anyone can be saved. Uh, you don't, there's no badness level that you can achieve that you can no longer be saved. I don't care what you do or who you are, there is no depth you can go to beyond which the, the grace of God cannot find you. It's impossible to be too bad to be saved. But you know what? It's also impossible to be too good to need to be saved. If you've grown up in church and you've been a good boy or a good girl since the time you were able to talk, first of all, it's probably not true, but if it is true, <laughs> if you think it's true, then you are not good enough that you don't need to be saved. Because as we talked about earlier, one sin is enough to separate you from God. Now you may say, why? Why does he take it so seriously? What if I tell a little white lie? How bad is that? Well, if you put it in the proper perspective, it's really bad. (laughs) Because your creator, the one that has the authority to tell you what to do, the one that made you in the first place, says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. And and what sin is... um, Oh, Dr. Sproul said that sin is cosmic treason. I love that. Because we're telling our creator, you know, I know you made me. I know you gave me the very breath that I'm inhaling right now. But I'm going to shake my puny little fist at you and I'm going to say, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do what I want. That's what sin is. Sin is horrible. That's why sin separates us from God. So everybody can be saved. You can't be too bad. To be saved, you can't be good enough that you don't need to be saved. So let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus in my place. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in doing so, we have made a rift in our relationship. God created us perfect, and he told us what to do. And we decided through our forefathers, uh, Adam and Eve, our foreparents, to rebel against that. God said, do this, and they said, no, I'm going to put my faith in the word of the servant rather than in the word of my creator. And so we fell into sin. But guys, we ratify that decision every single time that we sin, so we can't just put the blame on them. So we have sinned and separated ourselves from God. Now what we can do about that is absolutely nothing. But what God did about that is he sent his son to live a perfect and sinless and holy and righteous life. And then God offers to us to trade accounts. All of our sin can be counted to Jesus Christ who paid for it on the cross. And all of Christ's righteousness, as crazy as this sounds, can be credited to our account. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So we can be saved. The next point we see in this passage is to flee from sexual immorality. Now this is a long passage and I'll explain what he's talking about. But, well, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. Now that is a saying that they had in the Corinthian church, we believe. Uh, We don't get to read both sides of this discussion, right? 
the Corinthian information was getting to Paul, and Paul was responding to that. And there's even one letter to the Corinthians that is referenced a couple of times that Paul wrote to them that we don't have as part of Scripture. And as I've said, that's God knows what he's doing, so apparently we didn't need that letter. But we can only hear one side of the conversation. But what we glean from that is that this was one of those sayings that they had in Corinth. They were saying, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now the gist of what their argument was and what their thinking was is, hey, look, sex is just a natural thing. It's like eating. It's a natural function of the body, the Flesh wants food. The flesh wants those relationships. It's a natural thing. They did not understand that what we do in the body is how we are to be judged eternally for our obedience. Now, guys, I've told you before that there is no way uh, that I could possibly be judged for my actions in the body and make it to heaven, right? When it comes to our eternal life, we have the choice of doing what I said a moment ago, which is placing our faith in Christ and having my sins put on Him and His righteousness put on me. But the, the Corinthian letter, and we already looked at it a couple of weeks ago, says that we are going to be rewarded based on what we do in the body. And so Paul is telling them, look guys, it's not that the body doesn't matter and you can do whatever you want because that's your carnal life, that's your fleshly life, who cares? Your spiritual life is separated. Paul says that is not the case. So guys, these folks had a false distinction between the secular and the sacred. And I think, unfortunately, many of us have that same uh, weird distinction that doesn't really belong anywhere. Folks, what, whatever you do on Monday, you are called to do and placed there doing it by God. Guys, it's a, it's a very... Uh, old medieval Catholic notion to think that the clergy is called by God and the laity is not called by God. During the Reformation, they, uh, they rediscovered the principle that whatever God calls you to do and wherever God places you, He does that intentionally. So there is not a difference between the secular and the sacred. Uh, there is everything. We live that Coram Deo that I told you about a few weeks ago before the face of God. We live before the face of God, whether it's Sunday or whether it's Monday or whether we're a preacher or a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, candle maker, doesn't matter. Whatever we are, we are called there by God to serve God in our bodies. 
we dare not separate what we do in the body from who we are and what we are in the Spirit. Verse 19 said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And he's not just a temple of the Holy Spirit on Sunday, right? We are a temple of the Holy Spirit every day. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. Oh, I love that, guys. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There is a lot of admonition in the New Testament to be who you already are in Christ. God calls us to a life that is separated and a life that is holy, but he never calls us there without equipping us for it. So, so many times in the New Testament, we see that we are called to be what we really are in Christ. We are equipped to do what he calls us to do. Now, it's, it's hard. It's a struggle, right? The Bible says to work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Does that mean to work for your salvation? No, no, no. It means to work out your salvation. Take the salvation that God has put in you and work it out to, uh, to glorify God in front of other people. So we are to work out our salvation as we go day to day. And these Corinthians were not good at that. So we get down to the bottom and say, what do we do about it? All right, work out your problems, our problems, like a family instead of like enemies. Guys, there's going to be a time eventually when somebody gets mad at somebody in the church. We can do the normal thing of clamming up about it, talking behind their back, getting mad, seeing if we can build a coalition of other angry people and then have a good church split. Or we can work out our problems like family and we can say that I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, so eventually we're going to disagree on something. Uh, I have issues with pride. You have issues with pride. Eventually, our pride is going to butt up against one another. And we can either handle it in a divisive way, or we can say, well, okay, I'm going to take the high road, and I'm just going to be quiet and leave. Well, that's not good either, guys, because what we're called to do is work it out. So, like family, who is not going to separate. Now, Melissa and I have been married a long time, and we used to fight. We don't really fight much anymore. But before she got me trained, we would fight some. And, uh, and the way that worked is we wouldn't say, oh, I'm mad at you. Let's get a divorce. We, we cut out the word divorce from our vocabulary. Dr. Rogers, who did our, uh, did our wedding for us, said, take that word out of your dictionary. And we did. And so when we would fight, we wouldn't say, are we going to separate? That wasn't an option, Okay. And if it were an option, we might not be together 25 years later. So if you will make a commitment to live together in fellowship in this church, then when you do get crosswise with somebody, work it out like family who's going to stick together. All right. The next one is flee from sexual and other sins. Uh, Guys, this is not something we need to consider. We need to toy with. We need to do like Joseph did and run. (laughs) Okay. Uh, When Joseph was tempted, right, Potiphar's wife came in and grabbed him and said, lie with me. Did he say, well, I tell you what, let's pray together. Did he? No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, uh, let me think about it for a week. He ran, right, ran out of his coat. (laughs) Okay, so that's what we need to do. When there is the temptation uh, for sexual sin, we need to run from it. 
And again, guys, if you're thinking, hey, man, like most of this church is senior adults. I don't think we need to talk about that. Unfortunately, you're wrong. If you're, if you're a breathing male, you've got to still deal with this, apparently. It's been my experience. So we need to run away from it. Now, if it's on our computer, we need to run away from it. If it's our, somebody at work, we need to run away from it. Uh, you can put filters on your computer that make it harder for you to get to this. Of course, if you put them on there, you can take it off. But uh, you, can, you can put an extra barrier there if you're looking at stuff you're not supposed to look at. If uh, my wife uses one of the iPads that signed into my uh, account, so if I get a text, uh, it's coming up on that iPad. Is that a good thing? Yeah, it's fine because she can read any of my texts she wants to anytime she wants to. If I get a Facebook message, it's going to pop up on the tablet. Is that okay? Yeah, because if I need to get it, she can read it. You know what I mean? That accountability in marriage is a good thing. That accountability in the family of God is a good thing. Uh, I was at a deacon's meeting one time, and this is by far the most uh, wonderful deacon's meeting ever. (laughs) We had one of the guys say, I need you to pray for me because I've been looking at pornography, and I think I'm addicted to pornography, and I need you to pray for me. Well, as you can imagine, in deacon's meeting, there was a hush (laughs) And then a few minutes later, a few seconds later, another guy said, I would have never admitted this, but I have the same problem. Will you pray for me? And before long, we had some really repentant brothers sitting around being accountable for one another and to one another. So I know it's not fashionable to let anybody see any imperfection when you're at church. But the fact is we all have them. And if we can find somebody that we can trust to talk to about them, then we can hold each other accountable. Amen.